are moving our way through chapters 8 and 9 on the most favorite topic that uh, Christians long and stand in line to hear. The teaching on giving. <laughs> and um, it, it, is, it is awesome what Lord has shown me through my studies of this and what I see in this church in Corinth and the rest, uh, restoration that by the power of God was brought between the Apostle Paul and uh, this group of believers in the city of Corinth. We are looking at the first eight verses of chapter 8. We will pray, and then I will read the word, and we'll see what God shows us. Father, we come to you this day, humble hearts. Uh, I pray that with eager ears and hungry souls to understand more of you, to understand your awesome grace. And Father, the awesome privilege of being children of the Most High God, as we have sung, uh, this is your world. And Father, I, I pray that as, as, as we look at this text and we think about the Macedonian churches, as we think about the plea to the Corinthians, Father, as we think about the healing that has taken place between the apostle and the believers in Corinth, that, Father, that we would rejoice. And yet, Father, only you can teach us. Father, I pray that even when we look at our money, we realize that whatever we have, you have given it. And Father, may we be sowing richly for the eternal things to your glory and praise. Amen. Verse 1, chapter 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God that has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in love, we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as a proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. I broke this into two kind of sections and we're looking at verse four and following. And what I, what I see is, is the same thing that we all deal with is that if I'm going to, if I want to teach somebody, if I want to instruct somebody, uh, I use an illustration, an example of how, how it works, how it looks. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's taking the churches in Macedonia, which would be the northern part of the Greek peninsula, 
And he's saying, look at what they did. Now, you've got to look at it because the churches of Macedonia at, at this time were basically Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. So you've got three churches. And he's contrasting them on what they're doing. The offering that he's talking about who started over a year before this letter was written. And it has to deal with the saints in Jerusalem. The, the people were coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and become outcasts in the nation of Israel. It's amazing to me because when I think about Peter coming into the temple and preaching, and it was at Pentecost, you have a lot of people who have traveled from their homes in other parts of the Gentile world. All right. And all of a sudden they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they want it. But what is amazing is they can't go back to a church there. At that time, there is a church on the planet Earth and it's in Jerusalem. So they are willing to stay in Jerusalem to grow in the things of Christ. And now they've got no job. They've got no houses. And now the Jewish people cast them out. So when we read that and it says in 5000 believed. I'm thinking, what a nightmare. I've got 5,000 people with no jobs or homes. Okay, but I do have 11 apostles. Okay, but I'm I'm thinking we're outnumbered here. And then Peter goes again and you get 3,000. And you go to Peter lovingly and gently and you say, Peter, shut up. We have a mega church and no facilities. Nor do we have anybody with a job. And yet, Paul is running around the Gentile world after all of this growth in Jerusalem, planting these churches. And as he's doing it, he's saying, we need to take up special offerings for the precious saints in Jerusalem. And I find that fascinating. You guys know how we work in Russia and Myanmar and India Uh, We're doing some stuff with the Russian Jews in Israel uh, and how God has opened these doors and has been so faithful. Okay, most of these people we've met. How would you like to have a whole congregation that you never met, but you'll catch them when you get in glory? Because the churches were understanding that I have a commitment to Christ and if I have a commitment to Christ then I have a commitment to his body. That's the church. That's what he's doing. That's why I started it out there in verse four, begging us with much urging for a favor of participation in the support of the saints. The Macedonians understood that it was a privilege. Remember, we started dealing with giving in May. All right. And I took it back and I showed you that whatever wealth exists on the planet Earth, where did it come from? God. Okay, and now he gave it to us to enjoy. Okay, now it's not to be our master, but he gave us the rich. I mean, if he didn't want us to live in richness, he could have put us on the moon. Okay, and we could all just run around and kick dust at each other. All right, but he put us here on this planet because of the richness that that he created in this planet. And he says, and I want you to enjoy it, but I also want you to utilize it. I mean, let's be realistic. Have you ever really thought about it? Do you see if you watch gold prices? Okay, you ever thought about what gold is? It's 
It's just a mineral. You can't live on it. I mean, you can't suck on it and get nutrients. Okay? But for whatever reason, it's valuable. It's like diamonds. What are you going to do with it? Well, but they're worth a lot. Really? I had a friend of mine who was in Special Forces and he was working out of Thailand and they used to run these uh, drug trains up along the cliffs and they were up through there doing some kind of a patrol and he kept finding these red stones all over the place. Real shiny, pretty red stones, just stones is all they were. And so he stuck one in his pocket and he came back from patrol one time and he says, you know, all over this place, I find these red stones. He said, what are these red stones? The guy looked at it and said, sapphires. He said, sapphires. He says, they're just laying along the trail. He says, then people have no use for sapphires. Can't do anything with it. It's not like you can build a hut with it. It's not like you can make a roof out of it. You can't eat it. You can't drink it. And he says, but they're everywhere. And he says, that's fine. But see, we are the ones that have what we put as a value. You look at it today. There are things that you and I put value on. Right? Uh, Have you ever seen Picasso? I'm trying to figure out why I didn't get into art. I can do that. My granddaughter can do that. Okay? And yet, you know, Picasso, you know that the eye is not below the nose? Okay, and but yeah, but look, but it, it's worth millions. Really? You got to be kidding me. Why? Okay, but we put value on these things. I seen a guy the other day in a Studebaker. You know, they don't make those no more. Have you ever looked at one? That is the only car that's uglier than an Edsel. And that's sort of like saying, I'm going to put my stock in Pacers. You guys remember Pacers? What a beautiful automobile. Okay? But you don't see anybody collecting Pacers. All right? The wealth that is out there, we determine what it is, and yet God did what? He made it. He may have gave us the ability to dig it up and to bring it in. Whatever it is. All right. He gave us the intellect to do these things. But we do. And, I, and, I, and I've shared this with you with money. There is no morality in money. The morality is exposed in the individual on the way they handle money. Okay. Money ain't got no morals. All right. But the people who use it and what you use it for, that's your morality. I have a privilege as a saint of the most high God. To use my money, my resources, I, you know, I've got to pay the electric. You've got to pay the, you know, whatever else, house payments, car payments and stuff like that. You've got to have groceries uh, and, and, and that's fine. But I have the ability to be a steward of my money so that when there is a need in the body of Christ anywhere on the globe, I have the privilege of being involved in it. The Macedonians had understood this. The Macedonian churches were some of the poorest in the world. They were taxed twice by the Romans. One for digging. There was a lot of mining going on around there. 
Uh, one, they got taxed for digging it. And then if they smelted it, there was a smelt tax. And then all of the proceeds that came through, the, whether it was silver, whether it was copper, iron, gold, whatever it was, all the proceeds went to Rome. So they were dirt poor. They were living day to day, even if they had a job. And they were poor. And yet they gave out of the abundance of their affliction. They gave sacrificially in their deep poverty. In verse 2 it says, In the wealth of their liberality. And the wealth of their liberality, the word liberality literally means single focused. Okay, But you can also see down there in verse 5, he says, But they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's where we get into problems. In Russia, I had a Russian pastor tell me one time, he says, we pray for you churches in in America because in Russia, Christ is life. In America, you add Christ to your life. And he says, and and, and it's, I'm getting ready to go teach on uh, discipleship in uh, New Jersey this coming week. And one of the things that I have seen is, I, I call it hesitation. And you can be a believer without being a disciple, but you can never be a disciple without being a believer. And then you can tell a degree of that believer by his commitment to Christ. It takes that first before you'll ever be a disciple. Okay? You, you, really, or self. Okay, well, I'm going to take up my cross. Not unless you deny yourself. You have to deny your wants, your desires, your plans, your hopes. And then you'll become a disciple. But there's a lot of people sitting in the evangelical church today that are believers, but they're not disciples. A follower of Christ. That's a disciple. That's a disciple. Two weeks ago, we looked at giving in verse five uh, is because they gave themselves to the Lord. Giving is worship. Giving is worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God to do what? Present yourself as living and holy sacrifices. Okay, and then he tells you it's going to be a battle. Why? Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is worship. When your money masters you, what are you worshiping? Stuff. It's just stuff. When you worship the Lord, then money is just a vehicle that I can show my worship, my sacrifice unto my king, unto my God. I've already shared with you that nowhere in the Bible does it say the church is supposed to tithe. And yet I got people telling me, you can't tell them that. But biblically, it doesn't say that. Well, the Jews tithe. No, they didn't. They paid 25% tax. It came in two ties and parts of the gleanings of your field and your first fruits. All comes out to 25%. And I'm not Jewish. Okay, so I pay my taxes. Jesus said, pay your taxes and give out of your heart. That's why uh, Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree, he got up in the tree. He said, salvation is coming to your house, Zacchaeus. And Jesus says, now tithe. No. Zacchaeus told Jesus, I'll give you half of everything I own. 
Giving it to the poor. You know what's amazing? Jesus didn't say no. He didn't say, no, you only give a tenth. And he said, anybody I cheated, I'll give them four times back. Why? Because Jesus used that to say, this is what salvation looks like. This is what salvation looks like. But we also seen in verse 5 and verse 6 that it was submission to your leaders. Submission to the leadership that God has put in your place. God puts godly leaders in his church. Okay? And we are to submit to what they say. Why? They spend their time in prayer. They spend their time in the word. And God put them there. Now listen, I agree. That, and you can look around and you can go back through history and watch TV. And you can see a bunch of, what do they call them? Charlatans. I agree. I agree. All right. But I can also tell you this. Don't go to their church. I don't, you know, don't send them a $20 bill. That's, that's not, that's not rocket science there. Look for the godly people. Why do, how do they handle the word of God? It's that simple. If they're good storytellers, so was Mark Twain. All right. You know, and I like good storytellers, but I want somebody who is going to explain to me the things of God. Which brings me to verse 7. But just as you abound in everything, now he's speaking to the Corinthians, you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in love, we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious word work also. Um, what I see giving is, and if you look at your outline, you see it there, it is that it is a Christian virtue. Do you know where hospitals came from? Christians. Do you know where um, universities came from? Christians. And, and we, we always talk about the Ivy League school. Those were the first. And you know who started them? Preachers. They were seminaries. That is the grace of God being pushed through the individuals and collectively. Okay, Pastor Paul in Myanmar, his school is noted for its ability to teach English. It's touted throughout the whole country. And everybody in the government wants to go to his school because they want their kids to learn the English language. That's awesome. And Pastor Paul teaches it and his staff. Okay, they've got a waiting list now. Of people wanting to come to his private school. You know what's amazing about it? You know what their textbook is? The Bible. So they teach English through the Bible. And so you're reaching into this dark-hearted place. And these kids are learning the gospel and to speak English. And they take it back to their parents and say, Mom, Dad, who's going to pray over our meal? Pray? Why would I pray? Because God provided. That's fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating. It becomes our work to know that we are impacting a generation behind that is influencing a nation. Since we've been in that country, this church, 
have been in that country, helped through Pastor Paul, okay, and his school. They've had democratic elections without firing a shot. You want to see Libya turned around? Take them the gospel. Pastor Philip in uh, India, right next to Pakistan, uh, up north where the Taliban are. Okay, he he emailed me and he says we must pray for Bin Laden's salvation. He will impact the whole group. And I thought, well, that's tough, man. <laughs> that's that's tough. And I guess we don't have to now. But have you ever thought about it? He's reaching the Taliban with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these people have run out of hope in Pakistan. You got radio controlled airplanes that are blowing you up at any given moment. And now all of a sudden, and the Pakistanis don't even like you. All right. All you've got is death and destruction. And they say, well, you know, I'll go see Allah. Maybe. Give him the gospel. And that's what he's doing. I find that fascinating. Truly, because I'll be honest with you, I'd have never thought of it. You just don't think about it. Why? Show them what truth is, not the false that they're chasing. Because that's what we do, and we are taking because of the love that compels us, we are taking and we are pushing this forward, and we're watching what God does. And we invest in men who are like-minded, who believe the Bible is the authority and the word and the power of God. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word shall never. This kind of giving that you see in the Macedonian example, that you see, and this church is amazing to me. When I watch what we do, when I bring something to you guys, you step up. You always have for years and years and years, 20 some odd years. And I praise God for that. But I also know it ain't you. I know that it is the power of God in you causing it. And it makes me giggle. Because everybody keeps saying, well, did you plan that? I can't even plan what I'm doing tomorrow. No, I didn't plan it. This kind of giving is in perfect harmony with all the other virtues of Christians. Find a heart... Okay, that is filled with faith, filled with utterance, filled with knowledge and earnestness and love. And you will find a generous heart. It's that simple. It's all together. It's a package deal. Part of listen. One of the things that I watch us in America do is that, well, can I get the best out of five? Yeah, I get three out of five. Will that work? It's like if you take fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace. Well, if I get like the first three, am I good enough? Uh, and no, it's all of it. Why? It's a changed heart. It, it, if you put them all together, what he lists out here, faith, utterance, knowledge, earnestness, and love. You put them all together, then you will be generous. Why? He says, Corinthians, you already abound in this. And if you already abound in this, then giving is easy. You don't have to badger them. As you abound in everything, he compliments them. If you back up chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verse 4. 
I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, if you do a cursory reading of first Corinthians, that is an amazing verse because he blasts them through the rest of this letter. But he says, I still thank God concerning you for the grace of God, which is given you in Christ Jesus. And I mean, they were perverting spiritual gifts. They were getting drunk at the Lord's table. They were the rich people were getting all the good food and the good seats. Uh, the, the worship service was chaos. Everybody wanted to have a speaking gift. And he said, when a lost person comes in and sees what you guys are going to think, you're out of your minds. All right. And you just go through this whole thing and, and they had a serious pride problem. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Christ. And he says, all you're doing is causing schisms. And yet he says, I also understand. I thank my God for the grace he has given you from the very beginning. You had everything that God's grace could give. You had it all. And God had given it all to you. Here he's saying, I'm starting to see it abound in you. You had it. Now I'm starting to see it abound. Remember, in between First and Second Corinthians, there was the severe letter. Titus had taken it back, and we don't have that letter. But it must have been a dandy. Because they repented. And they restored the relationship with the Apostle Paul. You see that in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. It's already there. It's laid out. Okay. In that restoration of that relationship, he says, now let's get back to the task at hand. I'm starting to see all of this grace that God has put on you and that you have abounded in everything. Now let's see it in your giving. Okay, when you see the word there, faith, um, this is, there is saving faith. That is the one that enters you into the relationship with Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This faith speaks of a strong trust in God. It is that saving, securing, sanctifying trust in the Lord that overwhelms you. That I don't care what's going on around you, I ain't moving. I ain't being swayed left or right, front or back, up or down. Why? I trust my Lord. Okay? And it doesn't matter what you're dealing with. That's the faith he's talking about. Abounding in this great, overwhelming trust in God. Then utterance. It's actually the word logos. Okay? Um, Doctrine. You've got an abundance of doctrine. You understand. You know what the word of truth is. You know what the word of righteousness is. You know what the word of God is. You know sound words. So you have faith and sound words. Sound doctrine. You have doctrine. You have faith. And he says, now you have knowledge. Okay, knowledge. Um... Knowledge is that being able to take the doctrine and see how it applies. How does it apply to me? See, I I run into a lot of people who want to apply their doctrine to me. 
But I'd rather see your doctrine applied to you. Okay? That's a lot more helpful. And when it's applied, you know, I want... Paul or somebody wrote the letter of Hebrews and he says, you should be teachers by now, but they weren't. You have to have the elementary principles. Well, what happened? It never was applied by faith. It was just, I have facts. You're really good at Bible trivia, but it has no effect on your life. You know, one of the things in in my life uh, of of studying scriptures, I spent a lot of time in uh, two commentary series called the Talmud and the Mishnah. Okay. um, They basically were the Jewish commentaries on scripture during the time of Christ. Okay. And you had uh, one of the, the, the authors or sections of it is a guy named Gamali. Okay. That was Paul's teacher. All right. That man had an amazing insight into the holiness of God. I mean, you, you, you stood and you read through his chapters and you go, man, how is it that you understand the holiness of God and then his incarnation stands in front of you and you can't see him? But you read through this. Now, some of it, you, I, I remember looking on what does it mean to lift a weight on the Sabbath? <laughs> you guys sat around and thought this up. But but you, you just you just read it on and you read it on and you read it on. And you're like, oh, you have got to be kidding me. And they, the conclusion is anything over a fig leaf was considered a weight. And I was like, well, you could have done that a lot quicker. But there was ways they wanted you to get around it if you... You couldn't walk so far because that was considered too much. So if you went out on Friday before sunset and you put food, say, two miles away, okay, you were allowed to go that because that would be considered your residence because that's where your food was. See? You read this and you say, these people have an amazing understanding. How come they couldn't seem? How can they see? Because it's what I just said. You can't say the best out of five. See, you have to have doctrine to put your faith in. Okay? In that faith, whatever it is, you count it all joy when you fall into various trials because it does what? Perfects your faith. You start seeing he is faithful in all things. That becomes knowledge. That is that knowledge that I don't care what you're going through. I dealt with the Columbine shooting. And I kept telling myself, I I went up there, I was up there the very day of the shooting. And and then uh, the rest of that week. And I kept saying to myself, somewhere in this tragedy, God is glorified. Where? And I, I mean, that was my prayer every morning and I went up there. And finally, I think it was on a Thursday. It happened on a Tuesday. On a Thursday, I got up there and I was talking to the district attorney there for Jefferson County. And he had this stack of folders about that tall. And he was going to be on TV because 
they had all the little TV things set up and he's going to be on TV. And I asked him how he was doing. They said, all right. He says, I just don't understand this. And he went through and he showed me all these folders. He says, we spend more for our cops. We spend more for our teachers. We have a better relationship between the schools and, and, uh, the law enforcement than anywhere in here. We have a high income population. And he, he just went through all of this big old long list. And I backed away from it. And it dawned on me that man at his best, you get Columbine. Okay. And, and that, but it took me a few days, but he showed me his glory. He says, this is man's glory. This is what man does. And it don't work. Because man can't change the heart. Doctrine applies on how does divine truth, how does that work in my life? Okay, then the last one there is earnestness. Uh, It's literally the Greek word that we get energy from. It has to do with diligence. Diligence. You abound in diligence. The Corinthians abounded in these things. They abounded in their faith. They abounded in utterance and in knowledge. And they had a zeal, an earnestness, a diligence about what they did. And you also have, a, in this spiritual passion, you have love. You have love. And let's be realistic about it. Once you have the love of God poured into your heart... Now you have supernatural love and you can love and it will have an earnestness, a diligence about it. And you will hunger and thirst for truth, for doctrine, so that you can add it to your knowledge. So your faith will explode. But it ain't the best out of five. Because I I watch people, ah, you know, if I just go with some utterance, a little side order of knowledge, I'm in. No, won't work. Paul says here, we inspired in you. You saw our love. And if you think about it, Paul had a massive love for the Corinthians. I mean, you would think these people were the biggest pain he had. And yet his love for them was, I am going to continue to communicate. Because we can show four letters, minimum of four letters. He was there for two years. All right. He set Apollos up when he left. And, And yet they still wandered around. And, and yet he, he poured himself into these people. Why? It was because of that love. You saw the example of my love by my teaching and my preaching and my interaction going from house to house to house, day in and day out. And then I didn't take anything from you. I, I, I worked as a, 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 he sewed leather. You know, people say, well, he's a tent maker. Well, yeah, some could have been tents too. Okay, but he did that because he didn't want to be a burden on the congregation and he showed a life of it. And you abound in these things. Why? Because you've seen it. You've seen it work. It's, it's like if you've ever been around godly people, they're fun to be around. I'm not talking about legalists. I'm talking about godly people who abound in utterance, who abound in knowledge, who abound in faith, who abound in love. They give of themselves and everything that they do. When you're around them, it's a hoot. I mean, you just are like, wow. All right. That now there, there's some porcupine Christians. I know that. Okay. They may have a little knowledge and they won't shut up. So they are abounding in an utterance that you just don't want to hear. Okay. But, but, but the, I, I understand that. 
But there are godly people, men and women that you can be around that you just, oh, this is great. Absolutely great. Now he says, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Why? Where did the grace come from? God. God. Verse 1. God gave us the grace. So now God says, you are abounding in all of this. I want you to abound in this gracious work. I want my grace that I have poured on you to be poured out of you. And the whole world will stand and go, wow. Whoa. That's amazing. Why? That gracious work, that grace is the glory of God. And you see, your giving is in harmony with all the rest of this. With all the rest of this. It's in line with these other blessings, with these other Christian characteristics, with these other Christian virtues, whatever you want to call it. It's all in line together. It is seen. You overflow with these others, Corinthians. You should overflow in this one too. It should go along with everything else. I watch Christians, I watch in in America. Um, I've had the privilege of traveling international and and got to see some other ways that it's done and you kind of, you weep for the church in America because I think about how wealthy we are and yet we're hoarding it. And I keep thinking, you know, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And I see Christians who don't have because they don't sow. And, and, and you can use all the cliches you want. Can you outgive God? You know what? I don't want to use a cliche. I want your heart to do it. I want your heart to be like the Macedonians begging, urging for the privilege of helping the saints. Why? When we do that, the glory of God is seen. I remember talking to some of the politicians in Moscow and they said, well, how is it that you're doing this? And uh, (laughs) it's a God thing. What's an atheist country? I might as well told him we do it by turnips. Why? But he asked me, he says, how is it? One of my trips, I took the, the whole congregation. We stood out there on that step. Okay, and I took a picture of us. You guys, some of you guys were here when and I took a picture. We all fit on that step. Okay, and I was talking to some of the politicians in Moscow, and they said, how is it that that number of people have seven churches in our country? And you support seven churches. What am I going to tell him? Bank robbery. No, it's a God thing. God moves on the hearts of people. And he's like, well, that, that doesn't make sense. And I said, that's my God. He don't make sense. I ain't figured out why he saved any of us. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Because we can, I can look at a mega church. 
And say, well, yeah, you guys had better be. I know a church right now that I had some dealings with in the past. They have a $63 million a year budget. Okay? That's a lot of money. All right? They were $22 million in debt. And they gave zero to missions. They didn't help anybody. And you're sitting there going, how do you do that? Well, how do you do that with a good conscience? I mean, I guess I know how you do it, but I'm just trying to figure out how can you sleep at night? Although they did have a, a, an elder board meetings were always at Pebble Beach. And I thought, huh, well, that's, that's, now it's making sense. <laughs> so, you know, and that's, they'd have a week golf trip and contemplate what they'll do next. And I thought, wow, that'll work. I'm, can I be the keynote speaker? No. <laughs> when I look at these things here that you abound in everything, and then he gets specific that in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness and love, and, and, and I want you to abound in this work also. I look at this, and it is normal character of a Christian. Okay, now, now, now I, want to, I want to be specific here. It isn't the amount you give. Okay, the Macedonians were poor. The Corinthians were wealthy. All right. It was based on the proportion. The Macedonians were giving to a point that it was painful for them. It was sacrificial. It ha- they had to alter their life so that they could give more. Paul is trying to get to Corinthians now that the restoration has taken place. I want you to give sacrificially. You know, um, uh, those of you who have been in our budget meetings know that, that I have big ideas. Okay. Um, but I don't have big bucks. Okay. There's a lot more that I would love to do. But I keep it in constraint with the men and the women that I know. And I know their passion for the word of God is there and that that's where they're standing. Because, see, when I invest and you and I invest in them, you can't move that. If they stand on his truth, divine truth, and they watch and have bore witness to the testimony of God honoring them standing on that truth. You can't move. them, And and you're not opening up to... uh, the charlatans, those guys that we were teaching in Russia, they had to be faithful and bearing fruit for 10 years in the church before they were even allowed to come and sit under our teaching. I went through their criteria. I was reading through the stuff that they had to, to meet to come and sit under our teaching. I'm like, I can't qualify for this. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be teaching them. But see, that's the people that we were, we are still investing in. All of those pastors that I sent, that I read you their emails, that's those guys. That's those guys. Pastor Paul spoke here. You know what he's like. You've seen his love. Pastor Philip has spoke here. You know him. He has a love for the word of God. And I know it's real because I can see their fruit. 
It is the power of God. These men are not ashamed of the gospel. They don't want a gimmick. They don't want a system. They don't want 40 days of anything. They want to walk with Jesus forever and ever. And they're going to start here. That's who you and I invest in. If you overflow, then you'll know this normal character. When I look at this, I see God's grace. Verse 1, I see God's grace. The grace of God has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Listen, we went through this, and I'm going to just go back through all of it. Verse 1, God's grace. Verse 2, it was not based on circumstances. We think that it's like the guy that says, gosh, I wish God would give me the winning lotto tickets and I'd give him 10%. No, it's not based on the circumstance. And you wouldn't. If you won't give it to him now sacrificially, you wouldn't give him 10% if you hit the lotto. Okay? If I can't do it now, you'll never do it. They did it with joy even in spite of their poverty. Think about that. I don't have enough money. I told you the story that one time I had a ten and $100 bill in my pocket and there was a special need in the church. So I reached in, I was going to give them that 10 I gave them the wrong one. So I went to eat lunch. I got a $10 bill instead of a hundred. Oh, gee. Okay. That wasn't my heart. <laughs> my heart said $10 is fine. God says hundreds better. All right. And God says, well, you didn't need that hundred. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> they didn't. They, their giving was not stopped by their poverty. Their giving was generous. Their giving was sacrificial. Their giving was voluntary. Their giving is a privilege. Their giving is an act of worship. It is giving is their submission to the leadership God has put in front of them. And their giving is in line in harmony with Christian character. That's where you and I are. It's totally awesome. It's totally awesome. And all I know is that God will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. And if you don't believe me. Test him. Watch what he does. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise. Um, what we have is yours. And Father, you were so merciful and gracious to us that you gave it to us. Thank you, Father. May we be found investing in the eternals. Focused on the eternals. And Father, I just thank you for the privilege of just drawing together today. Brothers and sisters for eternity to worship in spirit and in truth. Father, to look upon your word and to rejoice at the awesome things you have done that, Father, you are doing. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of your word. Father, thank you for the privilege of your spirit and the privilege of your precious bride, your church, and that we are in it. And, Father, may we be found faithful, walking worthy. To your glory and praise. Amen.